Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, let's the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And Noel, are you ready? Are you prepared for crisis, crisis? I I am actually really looking forward to it. Uh-huh. Um, especially um, I read friend of the show Latoya um, Ferguson's piece over at IndieWire right before we started recording, and she got to talk to Mark Guggenheim, who is running the uh, crossover this year, and he was just like, "Oh yeah, no, we've got like five, six actors coming back that we have not revealed to anyone." Ooh, and I'm just like. And I tweeted this at Latoya. I was just like, Latoya, if you found out off the record that Tim Daly and Dana Delaney are going to play live action versions of Clark and Lois, <laughs> I'm going to lose my GD mind. And then she just replied, LOL, to which I assume means, hey, Noel, you were correct. Which <laughs> I assume means I can't answer that. Yeah. Wink. Wink. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but Latoya just slide into my DMs with those hot, hot deets. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm very, I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, but I'm also looking forward to the fact that the crossover also means that Legends is coming back, mm-hmm. and the trailer that they released for it is just looks ridiculous. It's so good. <laughs> it fills my heart with so much joy. Oh man, don't we all want to live on Miss? Uh, was it Mister Parker's Mister Parker's cul de sac? Yes, and oh. it's just like yes, I do. To which I reiterate, why are they firing that man? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because the trailer looks real good, and like you watch the trailer, and then you feel so confident in the hands that you're in, those the, the writers, yeah. and then you go, but wait, but they're also writing off. But why? But uh, Courtney Ford's been such a good addition, and uh, Brandon Routh, the, the cupcake of a of a Ray Palmer. Well, yeah. So, anyways, we're mostly just gonna focus on Crisis. We're very excited about this, listeners. It's starting in just a few days as we record this, and we have not seen screeners. I don't think anybody has seen these screeners. Uh they're definitely not posted. They may have done one of those um, viewing ses- press viewing sessions, and. Um, LA that they do and then they just kind of release screeners like the day before or the mm-hmm. day of um, so rest assured I'm checking tomorrow and Sunday <laughs> <laughs> um, afternoon for them yeah but. I will be teaching and working all day the the point being is that I am looking forward to the fact that I will be able to watch the first episode on Sunday albeit late and also somewhat looking forward to the fact that I will not be, like, hyped up about it because I will be too busy. I will be very focused yeah. on, on various things. So so this is this is a good thing. Um, we will not be talking about Crisis. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about, a little bit about the episodes that aired next week. But we will not be, like, diving in with it until it comes back in mid-January. Too late. I think we can both yeah. agree. Um, yeah. And concluding, then we'll do our big you know focus on it spotlight on it but uh this week we will instead be focusing on sugar rush christmas which came back uh on black friday i guess the day after thanksgiving and i was very ready for it it could have come out on thanksgiving and that would have been okay for me too that's coming at the end our discussion is coming at the end of the show but listeners it was very good programming for me this this holiday as i was like trying to find things 
that I thought other people in the family would all enjoy with our very specific, very niche tastes. I'm like, is this an overlap show? Turns out no, but I still loved it. Yeah, I mainlined Sugar Rush while I was doing freelance work on Friday. So mm-hmm. that's yeah. what I did. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we both, like, I went into our, our notes for, for this episode and I was like, yep, finish that. I came back like... A few hours later, and I was like, yep, me too. <laughs> I was like... Yeah, I, I, yeah, I was done. Like, And I still had like two hours of work left, too. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we're going to be diving in with that more at the end of the show. It was super fun. Um, there was other TV news this week, um, but that really was the focus of what I was, you know, paying attention to. Uh, anything come to mind for you? Besides, obviously, more end-of-year lists. Yeah, which I only glanced at a couple of them because I was just like, oh, I, I need to remember who died this year because I don't remember who died this year. <laughs> you always are way more on top of this than I am, but have you started the Smorgasbordy yet? Like, I have not this year. I've got like a couple of things in there, but otherwise I don't have anything in there and I do not feel good about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yes. Also me. Also me that. I, mean, I had to put together I, my top 15 and that mm-hmm. is going to change from when I had to... I mean, I always I already had to do that, but I already know based on when I had to put that together and just episodes I've seen since then, I need to reorder and stuff. Um, and when it comes to thinking about all the other categories and stuff, I just started thinking about it a little bit today and just went like, oh, there's so much. Yeah, there's too much. Too many cooks. <laughs> yeah, um, can I just do that for everything? No. Oh. Because then I would also do that and we wouldn't have a show. We wouldn't have an episode. But anyways. uh, People want to spend time with their families. (laughs) Who are these strange people? That's very weird. It's you. You love spending time with your family. Oh, I know. But I've also come to to terms with the fact that apparently I'm weird. So for, you know, liking my siblings. But it's very strange. The other big news for us, though, this week is that Noel has seen The Mandalorian, and so I have not yet asked him his thoughts on Baby Yoda. That will be coming in our weekend TV. So if only for that, uh, we need to take a break, listen to a little music, and come back with our weekend TV, because I must know, I must get Noel's hot take on Baby Yoda. So we will listen to a little Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, and we'll be right back with our weekend TV. cover of Bowie's Life on Mars that was featured in this week's episode of Watchmen, and it was by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, um, which was just 
like instantly, I think, very uh, memorable for viewers and fans of Watchmen. More on that in a little bit. This week in TV, we're going to kick things off with Fresh Off the Boat. Lou wants to be a millionaire. I am, I am behind on Fresh Off the Boat. So I look forward to your thoughts on this, Noel. And uh, yes, I'm, I'm intrigued by the title. Then we're going to dive in with genre, and that's like everything else this week. So that's going to be first up, The Mandalorian. We'll get all caught up on the first four episodes. Then Black Lightning, The Book of Resistance, Chapter 3, The Battle of Franklin Terrace. Then we're going to kind of just throw all together all the build-up to Crisis with Batwoman, A Mad Tea Party, Supergirl, The Wrath of Ramakan, The Flash, The Last Temptation of Barry Allen, Part 2, and Arrow, Purgatory. And then we'll round things up with Watchmen and Almost Religious Awe. So first up is Fresh Off the Boat, and Lou wants to be a millionaire. Does Did, did they get Regis, is my question for you. They did get Regis. Okay. But it looks like current day Regis and not 1999 Regis. So yeah. it's weird. Um, they didn't get a chance to use um, any of their, any of ABC's slash Disney's slash Marvel's anti-aging magic <laughs> uh, um, to make it look like 1999 Regis. Um, yeah. So the only reason I mentioned this episode, there's two reasons I mentioned this episode. The first is that it continues the sh- this season in particular's really solid thread of, and he's going to grow up to be a chef. That's been sort of building up like last season, but is really coming through with this season where he tries to convince Lewis to put on what they call the cow bow, which is the scraps of pork into like a um, like a dumpling taco, basically. It's very good, and it looks delicious on screen. So it's just like, this is a really good idea, but that's the central tension. But Lewis gets on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, the hot show of ABC in 1999, and the um, like early aughts. Um, did you watch Millionaire? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, no, everyone did. As they make a joke to the, like, the fact that 28 million people watched that show, to which I went, Oh, for those for those long <laughs> long ago long ago days, um, when twenty eight million people watched the same thing that was not the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. um, so that was amusing. But it was also just really frustrating because some of that was just not how Millionaire worked. <laughs> I feel like that is a thing you can't get wrong. Like, first of all, it's not hard to not get that wrong, and second yeah. of all, the, anyone who would be watching the show who is like who was alive and watching TV at the time that this was airing. Now, younger kids are not going to know. But, yeah. like, anyone in their even, like, I'm going to say 20s is yes. going to have clear memories of, like, daily... Do you want to do the 50-50? Do you want to phone a friend? Do you want... Like, yeah. the, like it was very distinct how that worked. And, uh, and specifically the phone a friend because the guy who won called his dad just to say, hey... Also, I won, and I didn't actually need your help, but I thought I'd call and tell you I'm about to win a million dollars, which is just like a mic drop of a move. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like the the mechanics of who wants to be a millionaire, especially because it continued on for so long, even like with yes. Meredith Vieira. And Terry Crews. And then, like, it just ended, the American syndication just ended this year with the guy who hosts The Bachelor. Yeah, like it's yeah. it's been around a long time, and I feel like it's yeah. an easy thing to not mess up. So did they mess it up intentionally for narrative reasons, or? Yeah, they kind of had to, but like, so they don't do the fastest finger thing, which is how people got on to like the main stage at the beginning of an episode when they had a new contestant. Uh, so they didn't do that. Lewis is just already in the seat uh, when the show starts. Um, but then the other big problem that I have is that 
Regis keeps demanding that they give him, he gives an answer in the, like, they only have so much time, to which I went, that is not how Millionaire worked. <laughs> that is the opposite of how Millionaire works. I mean, that's how it works in the syndication version. Uh-huh. Because syndication version, people had time limits on what they could answer um, in a tiered system. Of like the first five questions were like you get you get thirty you get twenty seconds to answer these softball questions with the upper echelons being like forty five seconds to a minute to answer, um, but old school classic millionaire they were stretching that for ad breaks yeah yeah people would just sit for minutes agonizing trying to think about wait I know that how do I know that though. Talk us through know. it. Talk what us are through you thinking? Your... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All of that stuff. And it's just like, so, but there's like three to four instances of Regis saying, we need an answer. And it's just like, no, you don't. You don't need an answer. That's not <laughs> how this show works. Um, what I do like, though, and I just referenced like um, the whole millionaire thing of like the contestants talking to themselves about, wait, where have I heard this before? Where do I know this from? I know this. And using that as a narrative device to kind of flash back to where he heard the answer that then seg- segues into a discussion about like his resistance to putting the cowbow on the menu or something else that's going on across the episode and like before they got to the show, basically. Um, so I really liked that way of taking that millionaire motif trope um, and turning in, turning into something useful, narratively speaking. Um, but overall, it was just like, this isn't how Millionaire works. And I'm very upset about this. Um, I will say that he does a, he does similar to the phone a friend thing that, um, the original winner, the first winner did is that he asks to phone a friend on a question and he just holds up his hand as a phone <laughs> to call Eddie, who's in the audience uh, to apologize and be like, yeah. apologize and have their bonding moment. Um, meanwhile, at home, Evan is the phone a friend uh-huh. and he's desperately trying to keep Jenny off the phone line the entire episode. And it's very good because <laughs> nice. um, he's just like, dad's going to need to call me. I've got my encyclopedias. <laughs> uh, so it's just like, it's very sweet. Um, but yeah, so yeah, it was it was a cute episode, but it was also just marred down by the fact that this isn't how Millionaire works. Yeah. Yeah, that would bother me. So uh, yeah. I look, I'm, I'm sure I will catch up with it. I'm sure it will bother me when I also watch it. Uh, yeah. Huh. I mean, there's also Slumdog Millionaire, won a bunch of Oscars. I mean, like, yeah. anyways. Okay. Letting it go. Trying to let it go, at least for now. Let's move on to The Mandalorian. This week we had Sanctuary. And the, my main takeaway, because I have had time to digest and process and continue to love baby yoda my main takeaway was gina carano finally showing up in my media again she's awesome and great and i just have been waiting for her to find the right uh project to break through and be the the giant action star she deserves to be um yes were you similarly excited as as i was when she popped up or were you just like enthralled to baby yoda as all of us i think are no i was excited to see her um I, I was kind of hoping that she'd be able to stick around for a little while, but apparently she's coming back. Oh, well, that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that's good to know. Cause I kind of like what that character can sort of represent within the show and provide a different kind of energy, which I think is important. Um, but yeah, so, all right. Yeah. So let's just get out of the way. Baby Yoda is very, very cute and it's adorable. And I just, we all want one. And 
him taking the little orb off the lever and just yeah. Yeah. it's just it's it's adorable and, he's, and he's, he's sipping he's sipping soup yeah he's sipping soup and it's just like that puppet is amazing and thank you john favreau or whomever for insisting that they do a puppet and not a cgi because mm-hmm. it just it just makes all the difference but can we also talk about how cute jawas are because Jawas are really cute too, and I love Jawas, and I was so happy when they showed up and started like beating up on this guy. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah. So yes, all of that, and then, but yeah, I want to talk just about the Mandalorian a little bit and how I'm sort of frustrated with the show in some mm-hmm. ways. I haven't seen this week's episodes, and I've heard that this week's episode's pretty good. Um, it's it's but, solid. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, and I generally think that that's kind of what the show is, is it's solid, it's okay, Um, in part because I'm just sort of, in the same way that I kind of was frustrated by the way that Force Awakens was a very overt homage to the original trilogy in its structure and everything, and while I appreciated it to a certain degree, um, it didn't really do anything particularly new. And I don't feel like The Mandalorian's doing anything particularly new either, it's just like, oh, right, you know? Star Wars has always been a Western in space. So let's just lean in real hard on that concept across the board down to, all right, you know who else was a big fan of Westerns? Akira Kurosawa. So what if we do seven samurai in 30 minutes with two samurai? (laughs) And it's just like, yeah, I guess. But what can you show me that's new? What can you show me that's interesting? And from a narrative structure level, I'm not getting any of that. And that's a little frustrating. Um... So on that, I'm a little frustrated. I'm just deeply, deeply more interested in them exploring Mandalorian culture as a Star Wars dweeb. Um, as also someone who watched The Clone Wars, where they did a lot of work with that. Um, and seeing how that's getting woven in here to a certain extent. Um, I, I'm enjoying when that happens, and I want more of it. Like, I successfully called that he was not a native Mandalorian, like, really, really early um flashbacks aside i was just like no mandalorian responds to his ship getting taken apart like that and going i'm just going to leave it that's not how they work um so i was just like there's a story here and i want to know that story so the rest of it everything else of we're going to do westerns we're going to do lone wolf and cub um is cute and sweet and lovely and i'm interested in seeing how they soften him in certain ways but at the same time, I'm like, I want you to take a little bit more of a genre um, genre risk, almost. Of You have all this money. You have this playground of stuff that's generally not going to be touched by the larger Star Wars canon. Do something else. Do something really exciting with it. So I'm, I'm really hoping that that starts ticking in, even if it's not this season, hopefully next season, which they've already started filming, um, and see where that goes. Um, so that's kind of how I'm feeling about it, is that I like it. And I really, I love that it's like just over a half hour. That's just the best. The Uh, runtime is great. It is exactly right for this show. It's exactly right. And it's legitimately my second favorite thing after Baby Yoda. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Hard agree. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But you've you've been sitting with this for a little while. How are you feeling about uh, The Mandalorian? Well, it's just so frustrating because I don't care about the main character hardly at all. If there Mm -hmm. wasn't a baby Yoda, I think most of us would, you know, beyond like just the 
curiosity of you know, like the curiosity factor of it would have moved on um and so they're very good that they had the very smart idea to do baby yoda but i just keep going back to you have pedro pascal and you're not letting him act like at all there's a little uh, bit of voice there but like even yeah. like he, you've got a helmet so and you've got big now he's got his shiny armor right his big armor which means that you don't even get very many specifics of motion. You know, you don't get a lot of detail or nuance even with that as much as you would if you would let <laughs> him not have, like, constantly be covered in this armor, which I understand is, like, core and central to the Mandalorians. Like, it's yeah. like, there's no getting around it. It's like, well, then don't make him your main character. I don't know because I just don't care about this main character and there's little little bits that that, that he's managing to get through in in his vocal performance and in like a couple elements of physicality but I would care so much more so much more about this about this main character if I got any read on his experience and using a few vague flashbacks is doesn't cut it it just feels yeah. kind of cheap to me. And uh, so I, I just, I would have liked a more elegant solution than the non-solution they have found. And um, yeah, it's just, it, it really bothers me. And I know I need to let that go because that's just a buy-in with the show, right? And normally I would have let that go by not watching. But what am I going to do? Not watch Baby Yoda? Come on. Uh, so so that's not an option for me either. But I think when you see, like, him interacting with Gina Carano, right, works so much better than some of the other stuff because there's a there's an immediate connection there because they're both soldiers they both have that experience you know they're both uh, highly disillusioned and veterans of lots of you know lots of shit going down and so there's instantly a rapport between those two now imagine they could share a glance wouldn't that be nice if they could share a glance but they can't um so it's just I, and I instantly just cared so much more about her than I did about him because I She's a person, not a robot. And he does not feel distinct enough to me to be the main character of your show. And when we're, you know, I've seen the first five now. So when we're five episodes into like a nine episode season or something like that, I should care about the main character. And aside from going like, you're not going to leave Baby Yoda behind. Not not about him. Not because I think what the damage it would do to his soul to abandon a child. It's like, yeah, I know that, but I don't really care it's just like you're not gonna not have that's not what the show is first of all and second of all you're not gonna leave baby yoda in the hands of Werner herzog yes you can leave him in the hands of other guy that's been in a bunch of stuff that i've seen that i don't remember his name but you're not gonna leave him in the air quotes care of Werner herzog that's not a good thing um so yeah it's just it's just I, i've been ranting for a while here it's just it really it really bothers me and I understand the position they're in, but then why are you, why cast someone who's good and then you don't use them? That's where I'm at. So it sounds like you yeah. have a different take. Well, see, I agree with folks where it becomes an issue of physicality, because I think Pascal doesn't quite know what to do with the physicality, or he knows exactly what he's doing with the physicality and having Mando just be very closed off. Um, and very succinct in terms of movements and that kind of a thing. And I think that there are moments where there's good physicality, like when he's about to fall off the edge of that sand crawler, or when he's getting up all, after being beaten up by that thing with the egg um, in like the f- second or third episode. Um, 
And so I think that there's elements of it there, but those are things where they're pushing Mando to places that he's not comfortable, I think. And I think that there's elements of Pascal's acting, physicality acting coming through in those moments. But the rest of it, I I don't know if it's either a conscious choice or just a, this suit is uncomfortable and I'm not sure how to move in it yet type of thing. Um, I don't agree with the voice work, though, because I think his voice work, while it is getting filtered through like the click of a mask intercom and digitized a little bit, I do like the vocal performance a lot. Um, I think that there's a general sense of wryness to it that I really, really appreciate. I think that there's a um, also like a good sort of I don't talk to people a lot type of like delivery monotone that I think also works really well for this. Like the way that he's able to say sure the same way twice, um, I think is something that should be acknowledged in a lot of ways of like, I'm, this is a, I'm, I've got this in terms of the vocal performance of it. And I think that's really key. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm generally okay with. Um, But I do agree that, their decision again. I think a lot of this just goes goes back to desire of genre homage of okay, we're going to do a western again. We're going to do the man with no name, and then because Eastwood, while deeply expressive in that that Leone trilogy, is still kind of stoic, and so now we're just doubling down on that stoicism by putting him in a mask that he cannot take off for religious reasons. Um, and while that's a good get out of jail free card on that kind of a concept, but it also means that you really need to start exploring that as a concept for this character as well, which they start hinting at in episode four of like, what does this mean for you? And I'm really, again, this gets back to larger things of like, all right, you get to talk about religion in Star Wars, which is not something that ever gets discussed unless however you want to count and discuss the force as a thing, as an entity. But here you get to actually talk about a system of beliefs and a religious sort of system. What does this look like? And are you making room for this? And I think that that can help alleviate some of this, maybe, hopefully. Um, because I do think that like the mo- more powerful things were when he was in the Forge, and there were a number of other Mandalorians there. And that sense of community and how he was isolated from that community... Because they could just, he felt like they could just instinctively know that he was not technically truly one of them. That the way in which that gets navigated, um, even I felt like the physical discomfort in that to get back to like Pascal's performance of like, no, he just seems physically uncomfortable right here in this moment. And it's coming through. I just don't think that there's enough moments of that. And they keep wanting to go back to the stoic gunslinger archetype that is central to the genre homage and genre work that they're wanting to bring into this. And I, yeah, so that's where I'm with it. Like I hear what you're saying. I hear what like Slate's television critic, uh, Will Pilskin basically Paskin, tweeted yeah. the same. Paskin tweeted the same thing. And it's just like, yeah, but is sort of my response to both of you is like, I think the vocal performance is generally really good. And I think there's elements of a really good physical performance, but I don't know that the show is, allowing that room to breathe as much as it should. And I don't think that a longer runtime will provide that. I think better structuring your episode will provide that. You know, and talking about it with you, which is why I so enjoy our podcast that we do is, is popping a big flag up for me. What it is, uh, is that 
when you have like a Clint Eastwood man with no name performance, yeah. right? You get to watch him be stoic and not react to stuff. Right. When you're looking at a mask, it's completely different because yeah. I don't know that he's not making a face. I just am not allowed to see the face. So I don't get to, so there's not a choice of stillness. It's like, no, he could be moving. It's just not in, it's, the armor isn't moving. So you lose all of, so it, instead of it being like a choice of stillness or it's show, like where you watch and you watch like the light on an unmoving face, that changes, like you don't get that. And so it, instead it's just blank, uh, and and that's not compelling. That's not a choice of stillness. That's not a choice sure. of how you hold yourself. It's just like, well, maybe he's just slumped, but he's within his armor, and because of the size and the shape of it, the armor isn't moving. But he, I don't know that he's sitting rigidly tall. I have no way to to know that. For all I, you know, he could be he could be like kind of angled and you know relaxed within his armor. And if he was stiff with his armor or relaxed in his armor in the particular way he's sitting right now, it would look the same externally. So I can't read anything about what the character is thinking, feeling, anything from that. And uh, it's really frustrating. Yeah, I do agree though that the the moments where you know, it. it, it draws to mind the terrific of course always terrific performances that we get from Doug Jones and you know how great he was yes. has been on on uh Star Trek uh, Discovery and he you know anybody who is always having to act through heavy prostheses right if nothing else they have their eyes most of the time, even through con- like horrible contacts usually they at least have their eyes um and 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 when there's ma- massive prostheses, usually they can move their arms. Like like there's some part of their body where the usually often the prostheses are like glued right onto their body, so that you can still get motion and movement in a way that we don't really get with with the Mandalorian because of the bulk of the armor and also the cape too. So it's not even just the armor; it's also the cape. You can't even see the legs moving, you know. Um, and Doug Jones always communicates so much in his motions through the prostheses. It's something that a lot of actors really struggle with. And um, this just adds that extra layer of it. So there are moments, you're absolutely right, where where he is, Pascal is projecting through the armor, but it's just so unsatisfying for me the rest yeah. of the time. Like, let, let there be a crack in his helmet so, so that it's he didn't take the helmet off. The helmet's broken. He's got to get it fixed. Like he, that's got to be a thing that could that could happen in theory. And it lets us see like something, just like a tiny like sliver of light on a cheek or something. I don't know. But so that you can be reminded that there's a person and maybe something like that's coming. Who knows? But yeah. anyways, I'm frustrated. Any final thoughts on this? <laughs> no, I I just I'm I'm ready for them to like do something more. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping yeah. that happens. Well, the next episode features Amy Sedaris, who is delightful. What? Yeah. I, Sorry. I, I so thought you, weird. I figured you would have known that or else I wouldn't have spoiled it for you. She just pops up no. as a tech person, of like a mechanic. Yeah. Oh, so it's, it's so good. It's good stuff. Enjoy that. <laughs> enjoy that. Uh, the rest of the episode, not interesting to me. But that corner, yeah. you, you know I'm always going to enjoy Amy Sedaris, whatever she's in. Uh, let's move over to the CW, and we're going to talk about all the crisis buildup altogether. Um, but Black Lightning doesn't really do any of it, so <laughs> we're just going to focus on the Book of Resistance, Chapter 3, The Battle of Franklin Terrace. And 
I I enjoyed this episode. I think a lot of it didn't necessarily make sense. Um, I don't think they earned yeah. it, but it was fun while it was happening. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what this episode amounted to is like a lot of this is fun. We're doing a lot of real superhero stuff this this week, um, both in terms of getting a lot of powers out there, but also in terms of Black Lightning is actively take protecting uh, Freeland again um, after sort of passively doing it slash doing it at at the ASA's beck and call. Um, so it was really good while it was happening, and I really enjoyed it. But then I was just like, wait. I'm confused. Why is why is the why is the pitch getting locked down again? Wait, I missed something. Yeah, and yeah. but I was also just like, oh, she's gonna get cut off from her green light supply. That's not great. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, no, it's fun. I enjoyed the Battle of Franklin Terrace. I do think that there were like weird moments of, wait, why is this meta mimic guy back in charge? Because uh, last week the other person was in charge <laughs> when Odell wasn't here. Was that actor just not available this week? (laughs) How is this working? What is the chain of command when Odell is not available? Because I have questions. Yeah. The thing for me was like, didn't everybody see the police captain and Jefferson Pierce go in and then the police captain and Black Lightning come out? Right? Like, it's pretty, pretty blatant there. Are they not just like, they're not dancing around that anymore? I mean, come on. Um, also the whole, um, the Thunder versus Blackbird. I enjoyed that. Um, and what that could mean in, as they move forward is, yeah. you know, she's choosing between, this is choosing between her, uh, uh, I should say Anissa, not Nissa. Very different, especially as we head towards a crossover. Um, yeah, she's choosing between her identities for various, um, you know, people yeah. saving and all of that heroic, super heroics. Uh, I really have been digging the new guy. Uh, I forget his name. The, the the one who's paired with Jennifer, who like has earth powers or whatever. Yeah. Um, the Ramakan, but not Ramakan. <laughs> yeah. Like a much more entertaining earthbender. And though I, I really appreciate, we'll get to this soon, but I appreciate on Supergirl. The woman's like, Let's just call him an Earth better. Everybody knows Avatar's amazing. Let's just let's just do that. It's easier. Everybody will know what we mean. Um, so I, I liked that, and and uh, I've really enjoyed that corner of the show and their dynamic. Um, the the dropping of the purse. Oh my purse! It's like you could have just picked it up and been in the. You know, I think they needed to show like bad guys following directly after her, which they didn't. Um, so yeah, I think there were several things in there that they didn't earn. But uh or at the end where they're like, Oh, it's time for the big battle. Nope, we have five minutes left. So so we're not gonna do that. But I did really like I thought the, the I thought the fights were pretty good and I thought the mm-hmm. fight with uh Painkiller and Thunder was particularly strong. The notion that she needed his sunglasses to break before she was like Khalil was laughable and absurd, but it was it was a fun fight. It's the same thing with Jefferson and Black Lightning. Like I'm mm-hmm. I don't quite understand it like the mask isn't even like obscuring much of anything. Mm-hmm. It's just like no, that's Jefferson Pierce, everyone. Mm-hmm. Do we not see this? <laughs> yeah, the one who wins at this always is, of course, the Flash. Because he, whenever he's standing still, it's just the, you're supposed to assume he's vibrating his face, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, which, that actually makes sense and then would explain, you know, yeah. a lot. You know, that that actually is going to work. You know, that's, yeah. that's good. Everybody else is just, because so, they're like, you know, 
a lesson the Mandalorian doesn't care to engage with is we need to see our heroes' faces so we can see them react to things. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I thought that was just hilarious. When I was like, oh, why, wait, when is she going to have the reaction of this is obviously Khalil, who she has fought before, who she knows yeah. so well. And then one little crack to his sunglasses and she's like, oh, Khalil? So, yeah. But that was yeah. a good fight, though, I thought. It was a very good fight. And I'm glad, like, they're giving the both, like, especially that they're giving, like, um, Anissa those fights as well. Like, mm-hmm. because of how her power is structured, um, having those kind of fights and really kind of keying into the brutality of those fights because she's invulnerable-ish. If she um, manages a breathing, right? Right, exactly. And so I like that as, like, a contingency, as, like, a way of, like, dealing with that. But also, like... He just, we've watched him all season beat the shit out of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so seeing, like, giving him an opponent in Thunder that is, um, can really take the blows and then give them back, I think is really, really important. And it uh, ups the brutality of it. So I really enjoy that because they don't give that to Jefferson because he doesn't need it. Because he can just zap people or make a force field or zap people or <laughs> make a force field he does punch people but they just go down because they get a quick shock fist mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it's gonna be fun watching them in crisis i think it's just him right it is yeah no it's just jefferson in crisis um next week's episode is crisis adjacent well, it's all Jennifer, right? It's alt Jennifers, which I think is a really fun way to do that and engage yeah. with Crisis without, like, actually yeah. halting their whole season. And I'm very excited to see uh, what what you know the actors do with that and what the writers yeah. do with that. So I'm like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm all there for this Crisis adjacent approach that they're taking this year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I would love to see like all of, all of the team. You know, get get into a a battle royale fighting, you know, fighting alongside the legends and everybody. Like, how much fun would like? Okay, imagine Jennifer hanging out with Wally on the Wave Rider, right? It would be so fun. Why is Wally on the Wave Rider? Do they bring Wally back? No, but they should have because he's so good on Legends. Just the fact that the actor doesn't want to details, you know. But um, but but like you could just like the dynamics between some of these characters, you know, would be would be super fun. They'd be so excited to meet Supergirl. They have a Supergirl on their Earth, wherever it is, and then mm-hmm. they get to meet a Supergirl, mm-hmm. which I feel like would be really cool. Yeah. Um. So yeah, no, I think every one of them meeting these folks would be really great, but I am looking forward to Jefferson meeting all of these people and going, wait, do you all not talk about race? <laughs> Ever? Is that not a thing? It just <laughs> never comes up here, does it? <laughs> and me and Jojo goes like, we, we engage with it slightly, a little bit, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyways, um, any other thoughts on Black Lightning or, you know, what's coming up next for them? No, though I'm 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 generally sort of interested. I'm still wishing for like a big Purdy episode mm-hmm. at this point still. I think it's really essential, but I feel like them getting a radio signal out um, will maybe hopefully speed things along. I'm curious to see what that development brings to like the larger sort of corner of the universe. Yeah, definitely. 
definitely. Uh, let's move over to the rest of the CW, and we're just going to kind of talk about Batwoman, Supergirl, Flash, and Arrow all together. So Batwoman was a mad tea party, Supergirl was the wrath of Ramakan, and then we'll kind of talk about those maybe more together. And then we have The Flash, Last Temptation of Barry Allen, and Purgatory, both of which are hardcore setting up Crisis. So for Batwoman um, and Supergirl, both of these were like de- engaging with and, and putting into a stasis point their arcs. Yeah so far this season, how do you feel like these shows did? So I think Mad Tea Party is probably one of the stronger Batwoman episodes, even if there are elements of it that just, again, don't make a great deal of sense on like an editing level of like, it takes Kate a really long time to get backstage, like way too long. Um, distractingly. So of like this, this is, this is poorly cross cut in terms of rhythms and everything of like, yeah, this doesn't, this isn't how any of this works. Um, but I think that there's such a good way of, like, Alice slash Beth has figured out the perfect way to break, fracture everyone, in a way. And I really, really like the way in which it goes down to this character that has only really existed along the periphery of a lot of this. And then it's like, oh, no, she was the whole thing that was kind of keeping everything kind of connected, in a way. Um, and we're just going to kill her. And then that breaks everything. That breaks Mary and Kate's burgeoning relationship. That was really one of the best parts of the show. It breaks Kate's belief that Beth can be saved in any sort of way, which organically really came about. And finally, because you couldn't stretch it out too much longer. And it gets Jacob out of like command and into trouble with the Gotham PD, to which I go... Oh, right. Gotham still has they a police have department. a PD. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot. <laughs> um, so I think that there's just a really good way in which the Kings all get broken in their own individual ways, but also as a unit, which I think is just really effectively done here and generally really efficiently. Like, the only problem with this episode and really with the season overall so far is that Luke just doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's getting it's getting frustrating that he doesn't matter. Um mm-hmm. so I'm hoping that that's going to shift in the second half, but or like as we enter the next next phase of the show. Um but I think that there's just a lot of really good things here that they do really effectively to transition to making Alice both seem much more of a threat but also breaking down everyone else. So, how did you feel about it? Yeah, I, I liked this episode. Um, I really actually appreciated Dougray Scott's uh, performance or Dougray Scott's performance uh, when he was being Mouse. I like the vocal mm-hmm. choices. I actually I wasn't as connected to his performance when he was being him, um, but uh, but but I thought that the Mouse as as Jacob worked pretty well, and to just be clearly off to us, but close enough that people who wouldn't have the option of it's not him as like a, a filter that their brain could connect to, you know, um, would, would still buy it. So I thought that that was fun. Uh, I like, of course, I always appreciate the, Oh no, I poisoned them an hour ago. It's too late. That, that tends to be a very satisfying, um, ploy when it's used well. And I thought they used it well here. Alice's dress, chef's kiss, fabulous. Very nice. Good reveal. Good moment. And, um, yeah, I, I, I think they, they, wanted me to connect more with Catherine than I did, at least in the moment. But yeah. in general, 
I thought that everything with Catherine and Mary worked really nicely. It was a good performance. It was a good scene. And that's that's the kind of thing that, you know, you're not going to get out of easily. So I appreciate them committing to it. And um, not just, like, whisking her away to a hospital and so they can conveniently find a cure when they want to use the actor again. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, we'll see what happens next. I liked, <laughs> I liked that she's like, oh, yeah, no, I know I have the clinic. And she was like, oh, man, you know how many times I, like, did a quick change in the elevator so that you wouldn't catch me? <sighs> I thought I was so clever. I thought that that was delightful. Um, yeah. It also made more sense. But, um, th- yeah, there's a lot here, I think, to really enjoy and... I'm looking forward to what's coming next. I agree it's one of the better Batwoman episodes. Or Batgirl. Batwoman, what am I saying? Batwoman. Yeah. Batgirl is Barbara Gordon. That's a completely different character. Um, anyways, uh, any other thoughts on the Mad Tea Party? No. Um, so tell me what you thought about uh, the Wrath of Ramakhan. Um, it's really stupid. Did you, yeah. Did you did you need that Did you need that uh, big super volcano moment that still would have destroyed a lot of the city it's really really didn't. stupid yeah <laughs> let's can we just not I, I continue to enjoy the performances and what we're getting with with uh, melissa benoist and katie mcgrath i i really appreciated kyler lee and it just highlighted how underserved she's been for the last couple years and um yeah it's just not good but good yeah I still like the cast and I, you know, the selling all of the Jean Jean's arc this year as a test by the monitor, I think actually kind of works in a way yes. that I didn't expect it to. I thought they nailed that landing. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so uh, that was, that was a neat and very tidy way to connect into crisis. Um, but the rest of this is just, it's just bad. Yeah. So I have nothing else to say. What did you think? I mean, it wasn't great either. I'm also sort of frustrated by the, oh, we're going to go back to humans need to be exterminated to save the planet again. To which again. I go, we've done this like three times out of your yeah. five seasons. We've done this three times um, or at, at the very least twice. <laughs> very and very and, notably and very prominently. And we and everybody went, ooh, a climate change narrative. How about that? That's very interesting. So yeah. like to return to that again. Yeah. It's just like. I mean, I get it. Climate change is important and it should be everyone's top concern. However, narratively. Yeah. Yeah. You were better off when you were doing an immigration story Mm -hmm. (laughs) last year. That worked really well. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's just, it's striking. You mentioned last year and I just had to go like, oh yeah, Supergirl was really good for most of last year, last season, that is. Yeah. I forgot how effective and good it was. Because yeah. it is really, really falling apart. Yeah. Um, in part because, like, Leviathan feels kind of amorphous because they obviously very clearly wanted to help hold back until a post-crisis situation to deal with that. So they really wanted to focus on the Lena stuff. Which I understand, but they've just done a, such a bad job of justifying it and narratively making all that work because none of it's on the actors, I feel like. Because, again, as we've discussed, McGrath in particular is just like, all right, I'm going to commit to this. It's nonsense. I do this under protest, but, but I'm, I'm going to do it. goddamn professional. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's kind of where I end up is like, none of this works particularly well. Um, but I mean, I'm curious to see what the crisis does to this show in particular. And if Lex like kind of comes back in a way, since he's alive, um, hanging out with the monitor and playing chess, but I'm curious to see, like, if this ends up 
reintroducing him in some capacity and what that means for the show. Um, since I, they had to have realized, like, yeah, no, people thought we were crazy for casting John Cryer. We showed them. <laughs> <laughs> we showed them. So we can't let him go. Um, so I'm curious to see how that kind of plays out. But that's legitimately the only thing I'm even, like, semi-passingly interested in. Um, but I also know, like, Guggenheim's been teasing, like, a lot of the Lex Luthor stuff in the crisis, um, is, like, supposedly going to be quite good. So I'm curious to see that and how that plays in. Okay, we will see. Uh, next up, we have our heavy setup episode. So that is The Last yeah. Temptation of Barry Allen Part 2 and Arrow Purgatory. So for Flash, um, we were talking about this before we recorded. Man, the CGI is dumb, but hey, Bloodwork's over, so that's good. Yeah, so the CGI for Bloodwork looks terrible, but also Bloodwork looks terrible. He looks really gross. And that's what he should look like. Like, Bloodwork in the comics also looks really gross, but as, like, a mobile CGI creature, he's really unpleasant to look at. And I just, it's the big black blood, blood clots, like, on his body and all that muscle ground meat stuff that is his body is just, like, Oh, this is all bad. It's I was very confused bad. why he had a skull all of a sudden for a yes. face. That didn't make any sense. No, none of it makes any sense. It's this is what this character looks like in the comics. Ergo, mm-hmm. therefore, um, yes, yeah, therefore. Um, but yeah, so this felt really long for like a two part type of thing in terms of lessons that we needed to learn. Of Iris and Cisco learned that they need to work together. To which I go, no, guys, you're not Team Arrow. Your team Flash. Teamwork is your whole deal. Yeah. <laughs> you don't each splinter off to do your own opposing teams and then fight each other. That's not what the show is. Um, I will say, though, that Candace Patton sold the crap out of oh, uh, In Sickness and In Health. And uh-huh. I thought that was such a great moment and such a specific moment for this show. Yes. Um, And for that relationship. And I thought, rather than that being a bad thing, because she wasn't being a team player, I was like, no, this is a good thing. This shows an awareness of the characters. This shows a reality to them and the specificity. And this is the kind of thing the show should be doing more. And her saying, you know, I get to play this trump card because he is my husband. And that's what this means. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. No, it works really well. And Candace Patton has very, for most of the run of the show, been the show's stealth MVP for the most part in terms of, yeah, I don't get a lot to do, but I do all of it super duper well and I'm not flashy about it. Um, And she's been that way really consistently. Um, But it's very, really apparent in this episode as well. Um, I do like the way in which this was Barry's plan sort of all along. Of course it was. Yeah. (laughs) Which I'm just like, you know what? They don't pull that card a lot with him. So I'm going to give it to you because it's, 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 it goes back to this idea of Barry thinking faster and further ahead a little bit. So I like that as a concept that he figured this out as a, as an idea and just, just went committed to it, even at the detriment to his own like well-being and potentially his friends and the city's well-being, but he figured it out and managed to get it through. And I was just like, no, I'm going to give it to you guys. It's silly, but I'm going to give it to you. Where does she come from? What is she made out of? I have no idea. I could not figure that out. It doesn't make any sense, because at least, like, the Speed Force, whatever, it was in his head. She is not in his head, because Barry also interacts with her. So, yeah, yeah, it was very very stupid. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, it's very stupid. It doesn't make any sense. But, hey, you know what? 
there's there's a big angry red cloud coming. So crisis is here. Yeah. And we're done with blood work, at least for now. So that's very exciting. Hopefully for the rest of the season. Hopefully. I want a different big bad. Yes, please. Please and thank you to yeah. the to, to Guggenheim and all the, 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 the Flash people. Um, over on Arrow, we had Purgatory. So it was back to Lian Yu because, of course, we have to go back to Lian Yu if we're going to have old people showing up. And yes, there was cast, there was previous cast. But I think we can all agree that the highlight uh, blast from the past for this episode was the island itself. Um, and we get so, again, I mean, it was a rather blatant passing of the torch. It was like, I am pretty sure you'll tell your own stories in the spinoff they're doing, you know? It was a bit much, but I think those actors really sell those moments. And having another episode where it's like, Ollie and his kids is A-OK with me because I think that's been some of the best material all season. Um, so I'm just here for it. Yeah, it, it is the best material of the season, I think. And it, again, works really, really well here. Um, I like how they're developing Mia and Laurel as like a duo uh, since they're going to be part of the spinoff along with uh the woman who plays dinah um to which i go she doesn't feel integrated to this group at all yet they're gonna they're gonna have to really work on that um i think like the big problem that i sort of have with this episode is the very obvious like gaping hole in it Mm -hmm. that is manow bennett not being here yeah um because yeah it's cool that yao fei's here but fires fires Mm-hmm. The guy whose name I didn't remember <laughs> from season one, I remembered the actor. Like, I immediately went, oh, it's that guy. But then I went, but Slade. That's that's what's missing here to give all of this really much of anything is Slade. Um, and we don't get that because maybe he his ask was too much. He wasn't available, whatever it was. But it's like... You, you you needed him for this to really, really work. I think Yao Fei being there helps make it work. And it's kind of impressive how very effectively it does work, considering Yao Fei has barely, even in like on a concept of flashbacks, existed on the show since, what, season one? Halfway through season one? Um, I can't quite remember season one well enough to remember when he died. But the fact that that works, I think, is impressive in and of own. But without Slade here on the island and just generic death stroke, <laughs> yeah, it just all falls a little emotionally flat for me. Which is why it's really good that his kids are here because otherwise, woof, I don't know what this episode would have been. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Uh, the stuff with Roy really just felt like setting up the yes, you know history. It is. Um, yeah, I, that wasn't as, as good for me, but mostly it was just, let's have Ollie say goodbye to everybody and start the crisis. So again, (laughs) right? Like they've been doing it all season, but I guess that's what they're, they're going for. But yeah, the stuff that works, works surprisingly well. I like that they didn't try to explain too much about the island, bringing people back to life or like they're like ghosts or something like they're not yeah, actually that's really, a like, lost island thing arrow you stop taking things from lost but i like that they are like weird energy don't worry about it if we have like three episodes left just give us this yeah. one and that is absolutely the correct approach to take i think and the on this show and at this point in its run um so yeah again it just speaks to the strength of this season of arrow that i'm just going along for the ride and happy to do so so yeah i i enjoyed this one as well but you're right without without the kids it would not have been anything yeah so So. it's a good thing that they made this choice and that they've managed to really effectively work around the fact that 
All right, well, Emily Bet Rickards doesn't want to come back, so... William? William, yeah, because we can't get Echo Kellum, because yeah. he's done. So, yeah. William. And it's like, oh, that opens up so many opportunities for us. And it does, really mm-hmm. beautifully. So, yeah. it's worked out really, really nicely for them. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, I think those Ollie Williams scenes are my favorite. I mean, yeah, the Ollie Mia stuff is good, but the Ollie Williams stuff... is just spot on. Yeah. Well... I, you know, we're headed to crisis next week. What do you yeah. think? Uh, how do you think they've set that this up? What do you think of of uh, you know how it's going to compare with the, uh, the previous crossovers and everything? And are you at all concerned that they have spent zero time and energy on what is causing it, who's behind it, what the purpose is? No, because that's what the crossovers that latter bit. That's what the crossover is for: is finding out who's doing it, what it's about. Um, that's all for the crossover to deal with so far as I'm concerned. Um, in, in part, I also know what it is, yeah. at least depending on what they're pulling from the comics to explain it. Um, so it's just like, that doesn't really bother me. Um, I do think that there, for me personally, there's a huge degree of hype around all of this that there hasn't been with the other ones. Um, sort of with, uh, Planet X, um, Earth X and the Nazi, um, one. Yeah. But just given the sheer amount of people that they've gotten and that they've announced and then the people they have not announced, um, there's just so much that I'm like really hyped up about to see how they work people in and what they're going to do and the ramifications that are the optional ramifications that are going to be here for this because Guggenheim has discussed the fact that they're just like, we're going to follow through on this idea of a shift in status quo. However, I went to each of the shows and was just like, this represents an opportunity for you to change things. If you want to Mm -hmm. take it, take it. If you don't, Mm -hmm. that's fine. That's okay. That's okay. One of the things that he also said is that like the crisis plays a huge part into legends, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't become readily apparent in legends until like halfway through their season about the ramifications of crisis, which is, has to do with Brandon Routh. Certainly. Yeah. Almost certainly. So I'm really curious about what all of this is going to end up doing. Um, but I think a lot of it for me just boils down to I'm very, very excited about this. Um, and I'm yeah. really hoping that they pull it off. And that's kind of where I am. It's just like I'm trying to control my own hype machine, my internal mm-hmm. hype machine, and keep my things in check. But I'm mainly like, I just, I really do want like a big Amel send off also in this is the one big thing that I'm sort of looking for here. Yeah. Is a really big Amel send-off in some way. Well, they have, like, three more episodes. Because there's yeah, ten episodes. So, like, there's going to be two more after. So, yeah, whatever but... happens, he's going to be in those episodes. So... One of those episodes is the backdoor pilot. So he may not be oh, in okay. that. Okay, yeah, so, so he's got... That's good for me to know. Because uh, yeah. that was really shaping how I was viewing this. It's like, they are setting up so hard that he's going to die... But we already know that Felicity in the future is being taken to him. Yeah. And we know that he's in two more episodes. So, yeah. Question mark. No. So okay. there's Crisis. And then when they come back from the break, they're going to do the uh, Green Arrow and the Canaries backdoor pilot. Mm-hmm. And then it's the finale of the show. Oh, okay. That um, makes more sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Um, yeah. yeah. So for me, I. I'm very excited. I, I'm hoping it's good. I really want it to be good. Um, but I also kind of expect it's not going to be. Like, it's sure. not going to actually be a good episode because there's just too many characters. Yeah, uh, that's a big concern. 
So, like, you, you this because it's easy to get so excited about all these actors they're bringing in, all these characters, all these cool things, but there's still only 42 minutes in each episode. And so now you're splitting that time between all these extra people, which means that each character might get one moment. Might. Yeah. Um, most of the characters might get one moment. And so it's it's always the, you know, with such hype. I just remind myself that there's no way it could possibly live up to that and that there are so many potentials and there's so many really great fun things that they could do with these characters and they just don't have the time to possibly do them all. So yeah. that really helps temper my expectations. So I'm both like really, really excited and then also pretty sure it's not going to even just be that good, but like the moments will be really fun. I'm expecting lots of fun moments with something threading them together, but not actually that great of an episode. Their their best crossover episodes have always been the smallest ones. So yeah. like the Flash and, and Supergirl first crossover was delightful and very very fun, very good. And the Arrow episode within the you know the the crossover was like the alt reality one was really good. And the um like the <laughs> wedding of the Flash, right, was really good. But the actual like rest of them were just kind of fine. And and so you were just enjoying the the novelty of it. So that's what I'm expecting, yeah. I guess. And hopefully, the those tempered expectations will allow me to really enjoy what we get. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the thing is just controlling the expectations, but also being excited that Kevin Connery is going to get to play Batman on screen as himself and mm-hmm. embody it, and just go like, "Yes, thank you. I I needed to that to happen before I died." <laughs> In the the trailer. Right? Kate mm-hmm. recognizes him, which yeah. means that that's Bruce Wayne in her reality. So yeah. that's very exciting for future things. Yeah. Anyways, it's like, ooh, your Bruce Wayne looks like that too? Hmm. Future episodes. Note. Note to self. Okay. Well, let's get to our last episode for the week in TV because we've been talking about all of these superhero shows and we have not yet discussed the actual mind blowing, awesome crazy amazing superhero episode of the week and that was for me Watchmen and almost religious awe and I I think that the previous two episodes were more impactful episodes of television with you know I had a lot more to say and we're doing really interesting and compelling things and really centered performance in a way that this one does as well but those last two were I think spotlight give a give this person an Emmy episodes and this one was just like so here's what you've been doing this whole time. What do you think? And uh, yeah, uh, mind blown. Loved it. Had so much fun. Cannot wait for the last two episodes. What did you think? I need to see next week's episode to decide how I feel because I I'm frustrated. Okay. Um, because I don't care about Doctor Manhattan at all. Um, so I'm sort of like, okay, I mean, Lindelof's been very open about the fact that when they were breaking the season for the, when they were breaking the show, they were just like, at the top of the list was, how do we get Dr. Manhattan back? How do we do that? And I think that they've done a really organic way of surprising us with that. And we'll see how, like, this is a good example of, we want Manhattan back. How do we figure that out? Of working back from an end result, sort of, and figuring out. Um, and I think that the way in which that gets revealed works really, really well. I think that it 
works for me anyway in that Regina King is just really, 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 really good in that scene at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, she's amazing. So yeah. the, she, it's just it's just really good the way that she just <laughs> calmly picks up a hammer. Yeah, cal- like baby, dis- disconnected, like dispassionately, just beats into this person's face to pull out like an inhibitor, basically, mm-hmm. um, and be like. All right, so the racists have figured it out. <laughs> How? <laughs> we'll find out next week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so all of it's fine. I, I appreciate that, like, for me and my partner, our big, or for both of us, it was like, oh, the big clue was that he fucks real good. <laughs> right. Did you see that tweet going around about no, Excalibur? No, what tweet this? No. Okay, so, so, so... The reveal that Cal is Dr. Manhattan, right? Mm-hmm. His name is Cal Abar, yes? And he's Lori's ex. His, her ex, Cal Abar. Oh, okay. And the blue dildo is called, is the brand or the model is called Excalibur. Oh, I missed that entirely. Oh, no. <laughs> that's so good. Right? It's like, that's where the name Abar came from. And they, like, they're like, even though they were just, they were just like, giggling to themselves yes. at that. And, and you know, well-earned. Enjoy. Hope you enjoyed the giggle because you deserved it because that was delightful. See, for me, the reveal that's, ex- what's exciting about the reveal of, of Cal is not so much that Dr. Manhattan's going to be back, but it's that it, that tells us so much about Angela that yeah, reshapes everything fair. we know about her as well. And, and in a really compelling and interesting way. And also the, the big reveals for me in this episode that, well, first of all, the moment with the couch was just beautiful. It was just so good <laughs> with the, what are you doing when she's pushing the buttons and then trapped towards the couch? Uh, Francis Fisher. Um, that was just super fun and ridiculous. And I loved it, but the bad guys reveal is appropriately like we need to save the world important and significant and horrifying and like good. And also there's no way other people haven't tried that in the meanwhile and failed. Yeah. But like it's real it's a really good twist of like what's their evil plan. Their evil plan is to make themselves into Dr. Manhattan. Um and they figured out how to do it. So that I like that as a concept. Yeah. I just don't need him here for that. But mm-hmm. again, shades of appreciation okay yeah Yeah. for me it really it just really works and uh i'm assuming that there's a like he needs to be here for that so that they can use him in the procedure or whatever it is um i also like yeah revealing that that francis fisher was in it the whole time um and that keen who we knew was evil but like has larger even reach and manifest, you know, like that, then we would have expected all of that was just so well handled. His evil dirtbag, um, racist dude speech was great as was Gene Smart's like, you know, re- reactions as Laurie when she's, it's, it's just, it's too, it's hard out there for a white man nowadays. <laughs> and she just like, can't even, she's like, you're going to just kill me. I'm not even going to pretend to not laugh at you about that. Um, it's just, delightful um so so yeah for me there was a lot in this episode that i really enjoyed and we haven't even tipped like gotten to like 
the main bulk of the episode, which is this is actually our Angela episode. And we find mm-hmm. out, you know, what her life was and, and or at least what a formative part of it was. And like the reveal of Sister Knight being like 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 a black exploitation. Yeah, black exploitation, um just being like shaft basically is awesome and I love it. Yeah, no, I think the the Angela stuff is really, really good. And I like how it's sort of like allows for there to be lies within the episode of no Tulsa just had a job opening and it's just like mm-hmm. no you heard about Tulsa from your grandmother who died of a heart attack in front of you just like your parents mm-hmm. <laughs> um in an explosion so it's just like all of this is terrible um <laughs> and you also met Cal and Cal in Vietnam so wait when did so all of this kinds of stuff of like how all of this gets layered and how she like lies and all this sort mm-hmm. of all of that kind of catching up in a way um I really really appreciated that and so I know I think that the episode's generally really good um on that front um see the thing I want to talk about is just the elephant yes yeah. is so good yeah like I kind of can't deal with how good of a choice that is Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I think that there's really good things with, like, memory happening across all of these episodes, obviously. But the way in which now we're just going to have an elephant be the cure for that mm-hmm. is delightful. Um, but I think that, yeah, so that, but yeah, the rest of the episode is just really good. Like, the basics of that kind of an origin story, both from a police level, but also from, no, Angela's kind of just been like this for a very 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 long time and i think that the way in which we're sort of contextualizing her works really well which is why like i'm sort of withholding larger thoughts about like the manhattan reveal until the next episode when we get to see all of that kind of play out and when we get to see damon lindelof go full damon lindelof the romantic hopefully of like yeah no we did that great dance in leftovers we're gonna do something really good here guys and you all like desmond and penny and sawyer and juliet ha <laughs> just wait <laughs> just wait i've got more yeah speaking of the elephant did you notice that the true pharmaceuticals logo is an elephant i did after this yes yeah <laughs> yeah i was like i saw somebody talking about that i was like oh you're right that's awesome and it was such a yeah. fun and, and good reveal i liked that um the reveal of the mother that she was creating yeah. and the, the very messed up ethics of that. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just absolutely delightful. What I'm calling now, my theory for right now is that, uh, the scenes with Ozymandias happen are happening in a separate timeline and that he's trapped yeah. inside the statue. Oh, that makes complete and total utter sense to me. And I also think he might be Lady True's dad. Oh, that also makes complete and total sense to me as well. So when she says like, "And my father, I want my mother and my father to be here," yeah. so that's my theory. yeah. I mean, it's either it's either Ozzy or it's um, you know, it's William. There's like yeah, there aren't many other options available. <laughs> it would also explain why she a part of why she's such a super genius that she like graduated yes. with like all the doc, you know, like doctorates and everything at age 21 and bought MIT, right. MIT when she was in her twenties or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's, I think like the way they ca- keep cutting back to that statue of an elderly Azamandias, the, the, the stuff within, with that character has just been so absurd and completely the unrelated. Pigs. The pigs like, came. 
Well, and when, like, his response is just a long fart, the timing yeah. of some of the stuff that's been happening on Watchmen with, uh, like, elements in our political life has been hilarious. So having that the week after Fartgate on, what was that, MSNBC or whatever, um, was just absolutely hilarious to me. And um, not to mention the squid pro quo. Uh, so, so yeah, I look forward to what's coming next. I kind of need the Ozymandias stuff, though, to connect in a more meaningful way to what's happening next, at least thematically, and I don't think we're there yet. No, we're not. But, I mean, it's two episodes, and this group of folks have demonstrated that they can pull off just about anything. Oh, yeah, I have no doubts. I'm sure that's coming, yeah. Yeah. Any final thoughts on Watchmen or what you're hoping for in the next? Um, no. I think, like, the, 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 well, I think, like, the big thing that I'm interested in is, like, the actor who plays Cal is playing Manhattan. Um, Oh, cool. Which... Yeah, which I think is really... I think that's what they're doing. I'm pretty sure that's what they're doing. Though I did tell my partner, I hope to God it's Billy Crudup. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I know, I think they... I think that they cast him to play Manhattan. Um, and so I think that there will be hopefully interesting things to, that the show will have to say about them them being the Seventh Cavalry, getting this their power off a black man, basically. And where that kind of ties into like larger discussions that the show has deeply invested in having. Um, but again, like I need to see the next episode. And I think that's going to help recontextualize larger responses to some of the stuff in last week's episode as well. For yeah. Me anyway. Yeah. Dr. Manhattan has most recently for the entire run of this show been black, but of course he was born Jewish Uh and so, yeah, all of that intersecting with white supremacists. Yep. Going to be interesting, certainly. So we'll see what happens next. I'm, I'm just like, what a way to end, you know, like they've got two episodes left. And I also noticed people talking about how this mirrors the structure of the comic, where it's like, you know, like you're three quarters of the way through the story when they reveal their master plan. And then you also find out that it already happened, you know? Yeah. So like... This is very much, very similar to that. It's like, you think you're watching the show and then they reveal, oh no, this whole time it's actually been something else. And they reveal that not just with the baddies, but with the goodies too. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I've am i just been so wonderfully surprised and pleasantly surprised by Watchmen this year. Because as we talked about earlier, it was not on my radar. So yeah, really looking forward to the next episode. Um, okay, what wins your week in TV? Um, yeah, um... Watchmen, I guess. I know that like I sound really reluctant about it, but I feel like I generally sort of enjoyed most of my TV this year, this week. Um, but Watchmen was probably was probably the best thing I watched. Um, I really did like the Batwoman episode though, but it's the show's just not as ambitious. Um, so uh, what about you? Duh, it was Watchmen, yeah. which I liked a lot more than you. I think <laughs> um, not that you didn't like it, but I just like was like. Oh. I was, and it was also just so happy that Looking Glass is not dead. And clearly at that warehouse undercover under one of those masks, by the way. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. That's going to be awesome when that when that comes in. Um, so looking forward to that. So anyways, that wraps up our week in TV. Now we're going to take a break and come back after a trailer to talk about Sugar Rush Christmas. We'll be right back after this. This is Sugar Rush Christmas. The baking competition where time is the most important ingredient. Go, 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 go. You gotta hurry up. I'm starting to panic. There's a 
there's a lot to do and there's no time to do it. Trying not to look at the clock. Four teams to do this. Three rounds of Christmas-themed challenges. Ho, ho, ho. We want festive flavors. Oh, my gosh. It's going to be Christmas in your mouth. What can go wrong? Oh. <laughs> the dessert was in there. <laughs> $10,000? Yeah. I want to give the judges something to wow about. Wow. Wow. <laughs> it's time for us to shine like the diamonds that we are. This is seriously impressive. Oh, God. Infection perfection. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. It's gonna go. It's gonna go. It's gonna go. It's gonna go. Oh. Never been this down to the wire. That was a trailer for Sugar Rush Christmas, which debuted on Netflix last week, Friday, uh, like the day after Thanksgiving. And uh, we've already talked previously about really enjoying, you know, various baking shows, but particularly enjoying Sugar Rush. Uh, and you know, I tried to share several shows with the fam this holiday season or this like Thanksgiving. Um, not didn't get a strong, get a mild positive, but no strong reaction to Kim's Convenience. Alas, I know, right? I they're like, yeah, no, it was good. I was like, you know, you don't understand. I was, I was not looking for, yeah, it's good. I was looking for, oh, let's watch another one, which did not happen. Which made me very sad. Yeah, those those first few episodes are rough, though. Well, though they're good, but like, if they found it themselves, you know, I think they'd be more likely to keep watching. But that's fair, you know. And the thing where I'm like, you should watch this. It's good. It's not working. Anyways, that one also I tried uh, Sugar Rush, which they didn't really care that much about, and also Zumbos, which they didn't even really let me start. So, <laughs> yeah, when, by the, by the time the Sugar Rush Christmas premiered, I was very excited to just be like, okay. Well, I also I was very sick. I had to stay home for Second Thanksgiving, um, and I was just passed out. And it was perfect viewing for that situation, where it's like this show's great. I'm just gonna watch it myself. And also, I needed to sleep and be on like cold meds the whole day, so it was perfect holiday viewing. And I think this show is really well suited to these this holiday theme the way they themed each episode works really yes. well and i hope it becomes a yearly holiday staple for netflix because i was very on board with this yeah i think the like nailed it did a hot does does some holiday episodes and they're all really good i think so mm-hmm. i was really glad to see sugar rush take that model and do we're gonna do six holiday themed episodes around like Different concepts of Christmas, the Christmas tree, carols, Nutcracker, Santa Claus, like really standard sort of baking competition type stuff. And then we're just going to follow that theme all the way through, including hiring some carolers to come in and sing. But we're not going to give them much credit in the credits, it looked like anyway, which I was frustrated by. (laughs) Um. But no, I think like doing this as kind of a staple is really, really smart because A, it's makes for good holiday programming. Um, so it's good like background noise for cooking, for being sick, that kind of a thing. But it also like taps in for decorating. Um <laughs> my partner and I watched Noel on Disney Plus while we were decorating <laughs> the house. Oh man, that movie. Oh man. Um <laughs> we didn't talk about it. I should have put it on the rundown. Um, maybe next week. <laughs> um, 
But um, that this is something that Food Network has known for like years. That you do Christmas themed or holiday themed stuff, people will watch them. <laughs> and so I think that there's just a really good through line here. And I think that more than other baking shows or baking competition shows, the structure of Sugar Rush with its time constraints and its ability to bank time and everything um, feeds really nicely into that sense of impending. We've got to get this in the mail. We've got to get stuff done. People are coming over. Did you grab the presents? Ah! It needs to have been brazing for the past three hours. Exactly. So like building all of that into this, connecting that to their, all right, you have a total of five hours. But really, you only get three and whatever you've got left over from those first two is like a really good encapsulation of the holiday cooking experience. And I like that they don't make a big deal about that. But at the same time, it's all I could think about while I was watching this of like, oh, this is really real. It's very good idea. (laughs) Well, yeah. And like you said that, like, I mean, it's. It's holiday baking week at the Calzic residence, and I have not been able to help at all because I was sick, and then now I've been trying desperately to catch up on the work I'm behind. Um, And also my computer decided it wanted to maybe break. Um, So I haven't been able to help this year, and uh, that that means that it's even more pressure, and it's even more, like, we got to get this done, we got to get this done, you know, like you said, the, the... the timing of like watching them watch the clock as they're deciding what they're going to cut from their decoration plans. <laughs> so that they're ready in time. Yeah. Hard relate to that. Um, yeah. so yeah, the only thing they could add in is if, you know, you had them realize halfway through that they're out of walnuts and they really needed walnuts. So are they going to use pecans or are they going to do run to the store? You know? Um, yeah, it's, it, it it's it was satisfying and fun. I thought that the challenges were interesting. There was a good blend of them. Uh, six episodes seemed to work well, and having like they seemed in their casting to really shoot for people with different backgrounds and experiences, so that people yeah. ha- would have different ideas of of Christmas. There was a theme though, which is I'm yeah. also now seeing everywhere else. Cojitos are like super on brand this year. Yeah. Like they're. In a big way, they yeah. they had them on Charmed last year as well, because um, the characters' uh, Latinx background on that show. Um, but like the, yeah, the the other than that, it, there weren't really themes I picked up in a in a significant way through all of the this the episodes, and I thought that that was really neat and a fun way to approach a holiday baking show. Yeah, I think it is too. I mean, like the only thing I came up with is. Some of these people are just not prepared and like get through curveballs like real hard in terms of things just collapsing, things not freezing, things not banking, things not setting. Like it happened a lot. And I just went, this is good that it happens a lot. Cause I've been watching like uh, off and on like a lot of the um, Food Network holiday stuff. And it's just like, this is boring. These people are too good at this. They're not even thrown by the stupid things that happen. these people mess up and I really like that, but they mess up and like try to salvage things um, to the best of their abilities. But I also go, Oh, stacking that cake like that is not going to work at all. Why did you think that? Yeah. Do you not know what a dowel is? Well, there, I had some issues with that because I actually don't want them to do that. I don't want them to be making mistakes. However, I think that it seemed like people were feeling the pressure a lot more in this season than they have in previous 
And yeah. they still seemed like they knew what they were doing. They still seemed like they were competent, experienced bakers. But you don't try something for the first time on TV. You don't never, yeah. you don't, you don't like go like, well, I've never made ice cream with uh, liquid nitrogen, but I'll do it for the first time on TV. That's not a, it's not a good idea. Uh, yeah. And so I don't know if that was something that the producers were encouraging them to do or, or not. Or I don't know if there was a change in like their casting and how they approached all that. Cause so they wanted more risk takers, shall we say, but that was a little disconcerting because it happened too much. Um, also, yeah. the, like I, I just have to because like I previously I assumed that they gave them the briefs ahead of time so they had time to because they have to pick yeah. up their pick out their recipes and give them lists of ingredients and everything. So there must be some element of that. But how would you possibly have like if they did that, you would need they would need time to get the ingredients. So theoretically, you should have time to do a practice bake of each of these. Yeah. And how you could possibly have done a practice bake without dowels on some of these big giant cakes doesn't make any sense. And yeah. if you had done it, you would know that there is no possible way that weight could be supported. I'm thinking here of the, like the the cake, the storybook yeah. on top of the drum, right? Like you would know that it couldn't possibly support the weight. So like I was very flummoxed as to that. Do you think that some yeah. of these people just didn't? try out their bakes i mean i think what it more so boils down to is that they may not necessarily have too much time for like practicing what i would be more expected is that they get like a they probably get like the basic concept of we expect you to do x but then they don't they kind of like kind of kind of come up with it but i feel like especially for like the final bake they just kind of have to know what they're going to do um because like someone makes it like a the the um does that tap that not the tower but like a half tower than a connecting bridge with the 12 days of christmas thing yeah it's just like yeah they had power tools ready yeah <laughs> yeah um so i feel like that there has to be a certain degree of prep but i do think that some people just didn't do it um yeah but uh, then it's really obvious when some people maybe did mm-hmm. like um some of the santa workshop ones mm-hmm. where it's just like oh that's really good you 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 worked on this beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you did not waste any time figuring out what was going to work and what wasn't. Yeah. yeah. The one you know, I was I was getting so confident watching the show going like never make two cupcakes. It's never a good idea. And then the one team made three and they won. <laughs> so, yeah. So I was like, oh, but never mind then. I guess uh should uh, get down off that high horse. But I think in general, like as a rule on any competitive cooking or baking show, if you can just make one thing, just make, make one, one thing. thing. Don't make a yeah. duo of everything. You're splitting your time. It won't be as good. But I guess if you are a culinary instructor and there with your badass former student, you can make three cupcakes in the time other people make one. Uh, the other one that I thought was amazed, I was just amazed that they made it through. They should not have made it through. Was that that pretzel? That pretzel? Wait, they, that pretzel didn't get get through, right? No, it didn't. It was raw. How do you bake a raw pretzel? How? How do you not oh, no. realize that it's raw? Because I could tell it was raw just by looking at it through the the TV, through the Netflix, yeah. right? I don't know how they possibly thought that that was done. Yeah, I don't know either. I just don't. It was very weird to me. Like, that stood out to me in a bad way, whereas that pinata stood out to me in all the best possible ways. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I paused, stopped working, bought it downstairs, and was just like, it's a cake. 
and showed it to my person. <laughs> like, look at that. It looks like an actual pinata. It's a cake. It's entirely edible. Yeah. Some of the, the techniques that we saw the people doing were really, really creative and neat, especially some of the things that they were doing with around um, rice paper and uh, like yes. making everything entirely edible. I was like, it went, when Zumbo's going, that's a neat idea. I'm going to do that next time. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, you done yeah. good. Yeah, that was the, that was the other thing I wanted to ask you about now that you've watched uh, Zumbo's now like we both have. And now it's just like, oh, this guy's just super weird. He's just very weird. And awkward. And it's amazing. Like, that whole, what would Adriano do? I I have zero idea what I would do for this. It's just like, this is delightful. And then other times, <laughs> hyper-specific. I know exactly what yes. I would do. Uh, it also just makes it very, having watched Zumbo's Just Desserts, or great, yeah, Just Desserts, um, it makes it very not uh, uh, suspenseful at the end. We're like, well, they made a chocolate fantasy of... Yes. Modeling chocolate potatoes and modeling chocolate watermelon. And they made a candy-colored magical forest with a chocolate waterfall. Which one is Zumbo gonna like? Hmm. I wonder. I still can't get over it. Like, the thing that, I mean, not actually offends me, but for the purposes of drama, offends me the most about that was, like... You're going to just make modeling chocolate-covered rice krispies? They're not going to taste good. Modeling chocolate doesn't... It's like if you made everything out of fondant, whereas the one team made it... You used marzipan, because marzipan actually tastes good. I was like, why would you spend all of that time crafting modeling chocolate-covered stuff when modeling chocolate doesn't actually taste particularly good? And you could have done so many other things, and instead, like, this is going to not look great, but be interesting, and not taste good. Why? It hurts my brain. It hurts my brain all. Yeah, I think a lot of that boils down to producers encouraging shortcuts to have something to show. Because mm-hmm. um, Nailed It relies really heavily on the rice, on the pre- prepared Rice Krispie yeah. um, thing in a lot of ways, to the point where it's just like, I kind of groan every time someone goes get it goes to get it to like shore up something because it's just like uh, the producers told you to do this, and I think that carries through here as well. Of like, all right, it's a reasonable shortcut to do the rice krispie thing and then cover it in something else, mm-hmm. and it's like, no, no, it's not because like for both of the reasons you enumerated, fondant tastes disgusting, and I've never eaten modeling chocolate, but everyone says it's bad, so. I just, just, I'm going to take everyone's word for it. So don't do it. Don't, don't rely on it, basically. And I, it, I feel like it's becoming sort of like a crutch to a certain degree within these shows of like, all right, we can make, we can make it work. Mm-hmm. It's just going to taste terrible. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but it's, you're, you're making food. The point is it's supposed to be yummy. Yeah. Well, and for me, like, I'm all for people using the Rice Krispies for, like, a particularly shaped thing or if they, you know, like, as part of their structure, like, there's a purpose, there's a place for it. But if your instructions are to make a cake and the, the theme is chocolate fantasy, to then basically just, like, make a regular straightforward cake and then on top of it, all the chocolate fantasy is technically edible, but you're not going to want to eat it. Yeah. All you've done is make a sheet cake and then spend several hours molding Rice Krispies. The point is supposed to be the cake. 
that's what right. the heart of it's supposed to be. And yeah, yeah. It, so that was that was one, way. and I was so rooting for those bakers too. I really like that team. Uh, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, these are my girls. I'm really enjoying them. They're gonna crush this. And I was like, what are you? Don't make me root for the people with all the glitter. No offense, listeners who like glitter, but like that's just not. Those are not my people. And I had to root for them by the end, and it felt weird. <laughs> so. Yeah. Did you have a favorite episode or favorite, you know, did you did you enjoy the, any of the guest judges? Um, Liza Koshy was great. Mm-hmm. Um, she's fabulous on Double Dare anyway, um, which is where I know her from, but I know that she's very good on the YouTubes. Mm-hmm. The, the kids, they like her on the YouTubes. Uh, <laughs> but I haven't seen any of her on the YouTubes. Um, so, but I really enjoyed her on this. Um, I liked Amira Kasim, who was on the Christmas tree episode. Mm-hmm. Um, in part because I felt like she really gelled really nicely um, with um, Candace and Zumbo um, in a way that sometimes the other like culinary judges don't really seem to fit with the two of them. She fit really nicely in with the show with, with the two of them. I thought really, really well. Um, then, so those two were, I thought were really good. Tiffany Thiessen was just, I did not respond to Tiffany Thiessen. Oh, I enjoyed her. I thought she was. I thought she was uh, more knowledgeable than a lot of the guest judges usually yeah, that's are. Fair, specifically a lot more th- than the um, the the celebrity non baker cooker. You know, sh- cooker chef. Sorry, <laughs> chef uh, people are. Yeah, so I think that those are generally there. Um, I think of the episodes I really liked, I think I really liked the Christmas tree episode the best, mm-hmm. the ones that needed a reliance on that. Um, I really wanted to like the Nutcracker one, but the, that finale was just, no, they, they told you to really emphasize the Rat King. Where's the rat in the cake that you made? <laughs> it's here yeah. in this very subtle way. No, no, that's not what we wanted. Have you seen the show? No, that's <laughs> no. not. Yeah, that's yeah. not how this works. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah, I think it's the Christmas tree episode that I really, really enjoyed the best. Um, but also, listeners, it's been a week since I've watched it. I don't remember these episodes <laughs> clearly. Yeah, um, it's but- amazing when you binge it, especially all in a row. They just yeah. go out of your brain. Real. Yeah, dark. but did anything in particular stand out for you? Well, Liza Koshy, shake. Was she the one who shook and broke the present? That was yes. That so was the good. best thing. It was just so good. Are and she, they just looked at her and like went, but we worked so hard on that. I'm so sorry. She was. It's like I'm so sorry. I'm really. Sorry. And then Hunter's just like, I'm not a judge. Well, and also with the reveal, which was to I don't know if it was a real reveal, but to me it was that Hunter. Is, is is like celiac or something and can't actually eat any of the food and so yes. you you could tell he was like i get to actually eat something yeah these guys he better so make excited. it to the final <laughs> yeah he was so excited with those uh gluten-free bakers yeah. he was just so excited and i was just like oh this is your sweet boy who does a very good job hosting this show mm-hmm. um like a really good job hosting the show like his whole thing of no one ever asks me a question <laughs> <laughs> What is happening? What's happening it's right just now? Yeah. Really delightful. Yeah. Um so there's just a good energy on this show as well. Sorry, I distracted from talking you talking about the your thoughts. So. No, that's no, that's good. No, they, these are all good things. Yeah, there was you know, just the overall, like you said, the tone was really great and perfect for the season and just it was a really it was a really fun way to pass 
the day being sick and exhausted yeah. and uh <laughs> and it made me help me not miss the fact that I was missing second thanksgiving uh quite so much uh which was nice when I was awake <laughs> the awake parts of the day I got to spend with uh you know like living vicariously it's like what are you doing with that why are you... oh god just temp just temper the chocolate just temper the chocolate and then dip it and then just okay I was having moments there, but it, but but I I really do think this is one of the better Christmas versions of one of these baking shows that I've seen, and mm-hmm. I really uh, look forward to this. Like I said, I hope this becomes a bit of a tradition. I hope it is, did well. I have no idea. I hope it did well for them, and uh, I you know now it's going to be a while before we get more, and you know just Netflix season two just desserts any any minute now. Whenever you want to drop that, I'm very excited. Yeah, yeah. I don't know when that's going to happen. Yeah, no, me neither. Alas. Alas, alack. Well, that wraps up our spotlight on Sugar Rush, Sugar Rush Christmas. Um, if you show notes here at the end of the episode, you can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com, and you can always, of course, find our M4A chaptered feed and our MP3 unchaptered feed in Apple Podcasts as well as the M4A feed on Stitcher. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews either place. And, of course, we are up on Twitter. I am at the Televerse, and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Thank you so much for a great week, Kate. Thank you for a good week, Noel. And uh, and merry holidays and happy holidays and all of that. And of course, most importantly for us, happy crisis. Until next week. Listeners, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Thank you.